Attention, please. This is The Drive with Josh Graham Podcast. Tune into The Drive 3 until 6 p.m. weekdays on the Sports Hub. I love it. It's brilliant. So I was at Cameron Indoor last night, and reflecting on it today, there are three things that will stick out to me from what I saw firsthand. And it starts with Coach K, who after the game was obviously disappointed with his team, usually when his team loses a game that people thought they should win. He is gracious towards the other team, and he was towards the Lumberjacks. He spent most of his press conference applauding the way that they played and saying that his Blue Devils did not deserve to win. But I asked him a question at the very end of the press conference that elicited a response that I had not heard from Coach K, but full disclosure, I'm somebody who's been covering the team for the last three or four years, and I've been following the ACC for much longer before that. I hadn't heard him describe his team the way you're about to hear But after the game ended at around 2 o'clock this morning, somebody who's been around Duke for decades, literally, listened to the same sound, and he said, what you got him to say here is something I have never heard him say. Never heard him in these terms describing his basketball team. Here's how that exchange sounded last night in Cameron. What's the number one thing you wanted to convey to your guys? That we stunk that we weren't deserving of winning. I mean, you just tell them, I'm telling them, I told them what I'm telling you. No secrets. Okay. I mean, what are you going to tell them? Like, it's okay? Or it's not okay. It's not okay to play like that. Yeah, it's not okay. You know, uh, it's not acceptable. So you can, exactly what I told you, I told them. So full disclosure. Yeah, full disclosure. Once again, full disclosure. Going to make sure that's known. So that's the first thing that's going to stick with me, just the way Coach K described his team afterwards. The next thing is just the locker room. And I feel like I need to add further context with what happens. This is The Drive with Josh Graham. Give it to me straight, Chief. Here we go. Isn't anyone going to say what we all better be thinking? On WSJS Sports. So glad to have you on this Friday drive. We're on the drive to work today. I realized I'm more excited for this Tom Brady Belichick showdown than any NFL regular season game I can remember. So excited that weirdly I started to get worried. Anybody else do this? Like when I was a teenager getting super pumped for a concert, I'd get this way. I remember I was getting set to see Coldplay or the Backstreet Boys. This is probably Backstreet Boys circa 2001 or 2002. And I'd ask my dad, what happens if one of them gets sick? What if they have a bad night? What if they have a sore throat? That's kind of what I've been thinking about going into work today, trying to manage expectations. I'm getting so excited, so I just want to prepare myself for potentially being disappointed. Is Belichick or Brady going to get COVID? Hopefully Brady doesn't get hurt on a hit. That's how I think about things. Am I weird that way? Yes. I mean, I got excited like about things, but I never got excited to the point like, how is this going to be ruined for me? Mm-hmm. Trying to prevent yourself from being disappointed. Notes. Got it. Written down. It seems like everybody is on Tom and the Bucks this week, but not me. I'm putting my trust in Bill Belichick to find a way to win on Sunday night. And we've got a bit of breaking news to pass along that might make you feel similarly. The Patriots just released their injury report, as did the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The most noteworthy name on both reports, Rob Gronkowski, doubtful to play. So it looks like Gronk's not going to be able to go. And Jason Pierre-Paul, a game-time decision too. That's crucial for the Tampa Bay pass rush. But really, this is about Belichick. 
It's about Tom and Belichick. That's why the game is so intriguing. And in Belichick's career, he has won these games that have defined why he's the greatest coach, in my opinion, in NFL history. His career as a coach has been defined by winning games where nobody gives him a chance. You're facing a more high-power offense. Yeah, we get you're a good defensive-minded coach, but when you face Kurt Warner, Mike Martz, and the greatest show in greatest show on turf in 2001 or in the Super Bowl that year, you're not going to be able to stack up. Or in 2019, Sean McVay and the Rams, the passing of the torch between Belichick to McVay. In both instances, Belichick shut down the Rams, won a Super Bowl, his first with Brady in New Orleans, 20-17, to the final in that. Vinatieri with the game-winning kick, of course. Then we watched it a couple years ago, 13-3. to It wasn't Tom Brady leading an offensive brigade beating that Rams team. It was gross. It was a fistfight. The Patriots found a way to win it. This game really matters to Bill, which is why I think it's perfectly plausible We see this in college all the time, not so much in the NFL, but from time to time we see it, that teams might be looking ahead to their next opponent. You might not play well one week, and it might do you some good if it's a head-scratching result. Look at who they have the following week. You have look-ahead situations. And the way that New England played last week against New Orleans at home, I felt that was one of those look-ahead spots. This game matters so much. I bet Bill has stuff saved for this game. He's been thinking about this game. It matters more to Bill than I think it does to Tom because if Tom lose it, loses it, he still got the Super Bowl from last year to bring to the mix. Brady, you lose this game. It's fine. You still won the Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. If Belichick loses it, well, you just watched Brady win a Super Bowl. You let him go. And he beats you in your house? I think Belichick makes this a game that's not going to be very pleasing to the eye. And that's a place where New England's a lot more comfortable playing than Tampa Bay is. I like the Patriots to win this game. And for Belichick to display all sorts of tricks. Trick plays? How about rule manipulations? We've seen that the last 20 years. This would be a good spot to pull that stuff out. And there are going to be mind games, too. Everybody's expecting Bill to be general, typical Bill pregame and stonewall Tom before the game kicks off. And then after the game, you'll get the handshake. Belichick saying all the right things in the media. This was Belichick this morning talking about Tom and, again, saying all the right things that he has to. I think I've been on the record, I don't know, dozens of times saying there's no quarterback I would rather have than Tom Brady. And I still feel that way. I was very lucky to have Tom as the quarterback for to coach him. And, um, I mean, he was as, as good as any coach could ever ask for. I think Belichick is going to do something different than Tom expects, than we all expect. I think he's going to be warm. I think the Patriots, I bet he's advising the Patriots to do this. Put this massive video montage together that pulls at your heartstrings, that will make Brady emotional, a la Peyton Manning, the first time he returned to Indianapolis as a Bronco. He's in tears there on the sideline. Belichick's always thinking about getting the edge Brady is not expecting warmth. He's not expecting to get a hug. So don't be surprised. This is my prediction today. Belichick's going to be warm. And pre-game, he's going to give Brady a hug. And there's going to be a great video display and a standing ovation with the hope that the Patriots have a psychological advantage to start things out. Belichick knows Brady's weaknesses better than anybody. He's had them for 20 years. And one of the things we know about beating Brady, it's a lot easier said than done. you got to get in his face. And Belichick 
is a defensive maestro with players who are capable of doing that. And since the game matters so much, I think he's going to be able to. Old friends of Tom like Van Noy and Dante Hightower. Newer players on the team like Matt Judon, who was great with the Ravens in years prior. They're going to get to the quarterback. And they might give the Pats. They might give the Bucks, I should say. Different looks than what you would expect facing New England. Here's what I mean. The Patriots' defense, we've seen this in Miami the last few years, Brian Flores coming from New England to the Dolphins, trying to recreate what the Patriots have done. Their identity has largely been, we're going to load up the box and get pressure to you. We're going to put pressure on you by loading up the box. It's going to be difficult for you to run. It's going to be difficult for you to protect for long because we put at a premium, a premium price on corners. We we do a really good job at developing corners, identifying talent at corner, and finding guys we can trust to be on an island. And that's what they've done for the last two decades. Stephon Gilmore, Ty Law, Darrell Revis, they've done an excellent job of identifying those guys, and they do have the personnel. They could play that way again. I bet you that's what Brady's expecting. Now, how would he react if Belichick's giving him run and is out there with five DBs on the field, which is becoming more and more popular in the NFL? I don't know. Would Tom be willing to have Tampa Bay win this game, but it be on the wings of Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones rather than with his arm? I don't know the answer to that. That's what bit Mike Martz in that Super Bowl. Mike Martz had this great offense, and he was going to be seen as one of the greatest offensive minds when the Rams rolled all over the Patriots. But Belichick gave them underneath stuff. Didn't give them the deep ball. Gave them... The run to a degree, and the Rams became impatient. They made Mike Martz try to do things he didn't want to do. I could see the Patriots doing that Sunday. I'm going to go with the master rather than the quarterback. Give me New England 20, Tampa Bay 17, and a gross, low-scoring Sunday night football game that I'm very excited to watch. Cole Noble is sitting in the producer's chair for Robert Walsh right now, sporting a beard. What do you got going on there, Cole? Uh, it's actually a funny story. I lost a bet uh, back in week one. I said the Packers would win against the Lions, and if somehow they lost, I would grow my hair and beard out like Aaron Rodgers. Well, the Packers did beat the Lions. You mean the Saints? Oh, yeah, the Saints. Excuse me, Saints in week one. Yeah, the Packers did kill the Lions. I was about to say. Got to keep a close eye on that. You look... Hot. I appreciate it. 336-777-1600 on Twitter at WSJS Sports. For those who don't know what Cole looks like because you haven't seen him in person, picture George Clooney just better looking. The more I study football, getting to the Panthers, the more I realize football is an exact is not an exact science. The sport, it's not linear. It can be weird and sometimes struggle to make sense. Something that works one week. Might not work the next week, and it's very fun to watch, but very difficult to understand at points. I expect that to be made perfectly evident when the Cowboys face the Panthers. The Cowboys, they are on a short week while Carolina has 10 days of rest. Carolina is unbeaten, yet they're a four-and-a-half-point underdog going into Jerry World. I don't expect the Cowboys to explode offensively in this game. The Panthers, they are banged up. It makes sense for you to think Dak's going to throw all over them. Justin Burris out. I don't even know who's going to be standing back there with Jeremy Chin. Maybe Sam Franklin, I think Matt Rule said. J.C. Horn, he's going to be out for the next few months. You got new players being worked into that secondary. Just traded for C.J. Henderson from Jacksonville. You are going to be working in A.J. Boye for the first time. It's going to be his debut. Dak, he's been shredding defenses. However, did you know that Sam Darnold's actually passed for more yards than Dak has through the first three weeks? Just throwing that out there. The pass rush needs to be disrupted, and I think this Panthers 
pass rush is good enough with Lyle Collins serving game three of his five-game suspension to get to Dak in a way that these other pass rushes have not. Plus, I expect Joe Brady. It would make sense for you to think, without Christian McCaffrey, the Panthers are screwed. How are they going to run? How are they going to create offense? But consider this. Joe Brady was interviewed for head coaching jobs last year. Not because those teams don't know what they're doing, but because they see talent with Joe. And one of the things that Joe did so well last year, Christian McCaffrey only played in three games in 2020. All three of those games were Panther losses, which means Carolina won five games without McCaffrey. And the way they won it was with Brady recreating the production of McCaffrey by committee. It was Mike Davis, and Curtis Samuel was a deep back, and jet sweeps with DJ Moore, and some running with Teddy Bridgewater even. Joe Brady's going to be tested, and he's had 10 days to prepare this game plan to recreate McCaffrey's production. Chuba Hubbard's a piece of this, getting his first career start, fourth-round draft pick out of Oklahoma State. But also, I think it is the wide receivers. I think it is DJ. I think it is Robbie. It might even be Cole's guy, Tommy Trimble, who had a rushing touchdown against the Texans, playing some fullback. You got to get creative. If you expect to be a future NFL head coach, and I think Joe Brady does, this is the type of game you have to have Carolina competitive. Just because you lose McCaffrey, you have to find ways to recreate that production when you get 10 days to put together a game plan. I think the Panthers are a better team than Dallas. Dallas is just a little healthier, and they're at home, and I trust their special teams a little bit more in a close game that I think Carolina's going to be handed their first loss. I do think the Panthers cover the four-and-a-half-point spread, but I'm going Dallas 23, Carolina 21, in a weird, unconventional football game, 1 o'clock, in Jerry World. That's on Sunday. Begin simulation. Initiate scenario. Here we go. This is The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. It's crazy to think. It's October the 1st, you guys. That means we're about a month away from the start of college basketball season. Less than two weeks away from going up I-85 or 77, depending on how you like to sit in traffic on your way in the Queen City. ACC tip-off, where we get a chance to catch up with all the coaches. And the season is near. That means we get to talk with uh, our good friend Brendan Marks about some of the happenings from The Athletic. Covers North Carolina and Duke. Was out at Tar Heel basketball practice this week. Had a chance to visit uh, in the press conferences with Coach K and John Shire at Duke's Media Day they had. Let's start with the Tar Heels, Brendan, and your time's always appreciated. What immediately jumped out to you when you watched this Tar Heel team on the floor? Yeah, I don't know if it was so much uh, any specific trend. I mean, obviously there were more drills focused on shooting and spacing and offensive sets that highlighted those things as well. But I would really point to one name specifically, Josh, and it's Justin McCoy, the transfer from Virginia. Um, I spent a good amount of time watching him before practice started, during practice itself, and um, I think he's a guy who might end up starting for the Tar Heels this season. I really do. You know, yeah. I think that Im- immediately you see that he brings defense. He brings competitiveness. Um, his three-point shot, it is a little bit slow, but it's an efficient movement, and the ball goes in the hole. So um, he was definitely probably the most surprising player that I saw. Did not expect that from him, and um, I think Tar Heel fans who have been waiting for another wing player to emerge should be glad to hear that. What do you imagine in your head right now the Tar Heel starting five looking like? Oh, boy. I think, you know, if I had to pick right now, I think, you know, we all know that Caleb Love is going to start. We know that Armando Baycott's going to start. It's figuring out the other three guys. To me, right now, um, if the season were starting tomorrow, I'd say those three are in order, Kerwin Walton, Justin McCoy, and Dawson Garcia. I think that when you look at those guys, uh, you're talking about a nice combination of inside game with Armando and Dawson. You've got outside multiple outside shooters with Justin and Kerwin and uh, obviously Dawson can do that as well. Hopefully Caleb can take a step in that direction. I think there's a chance that we see Brady Manick end up starting at some point. I think there's a chance that R.J. Davis works his way into that mix too. Um, but right now I would have to go with Caleb Love, Kerwin Walton, Justin McCoy, Dawson Garcia, and Armando. Before, before Robert hits the cut, we have an update on this. We got involved in the NIL game, Brendan Marks. We got oh involved. God. 
where instead of having the Italian singer singing the Armando Baycott cut, we now have Armando Baycott doing it. Can we hear it? Armando. So every time Brendan Marks <laughs> visits with us this season and mentions his name, that is something that you will hear. It's not something that's gone away. Robert, much to the chagrin of Robert Walsh, who's already annoyed by it. Brenda Marks joins us here. Read his column today at The Athletic. Caleb Love's back at North Carolina, and there are signs he's figuring things out. Did anything strike you about the way Hubert was running practice? I know you mentioned more three-point sets more than anything else, but anything else interest you? Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think, you know, Huber obviously doesn't have the head coaching experience that Roy Williams did. And so I think expecting him to conduct practices in the same manner is a little unrealistic. You know, Roy has done this for, or had done this for 30 or some odd years. Huber is much more of a delegator, or at least was uh, in the practice that we all were witness to than I think Coach Williams ever was. You know, Roy Williams very much was the guy running the show. And, um, Hubert, you know, had multiple things going on, and he would have Brad Frederick doing one thing. He'd have Jeff Lebo doing another. He'd have Sean May doing a third. Um, and he would still interject himself, but he really stressed the importance of letting his other coaches talk. And I think that that was um, both interesting but also helpful, you know. At various points, for example, you know, if Sean May is talking to the big men and he sees something, he's seen that before in games himself, both at the college and the pro level, so he can speak to that maybe better in some cases than Hubert Davis would because he has that personal experience. So definitely more delegation from Hubert Davis, um, but he also was more than willing to step in when he needed to. And the other thing I would say is the standard remained the same. At one point after a, a series of a couple of turnovers, some sloppy ball, Hubert stopped the whole practice and basically screamed out, I'm tired. You know, you guys are acting like you're tired. I'm tired. I'm tired of not winning the ACC. I'm tired of not winning the Final Four. I'm tired of not winning championships. I'm tired. So I don't want to hear about you being tired. And um, certainly it instilled that same kind of fear that I think Roy Williams did. So for folks who were concerned that Hubert might be too nice to take on this job, uh, he, he definitely started to dispel that in practice this week. Brendan Marks from The Athletic is with us here. I'll never forget, as most of us won't, when the pandemic really hit for a lot of us in the sports world was on March the 11th of 2020. I was sitting next to Brendan Marks. When at the Greensboro Coliseum, when all these headlines like Tom Hanks and others were coming down and the world was changing right before us, since then we've seen a lot of weird things. And one of the weirdest things we've seen in sports, in fact, I'd venture to say it's the weirdest thing, was Cameron Indoor Stadium, a place known for being claustrophobic and loud and close, close-knitted, being completely empty and being quiet. That was the strangest thing to me. And now, coming off of that season where nobody was allowed in, Duke unveils this waitlist program for tickets. Coach K, it's his final ride. Demand has never been higher for Duke basketball tickets. And yet, Duke is also one of the most careful schools we've seen across the country in handling the pandemic that's still not finished yet. Do you have a good sense, Brendan, for what games are going to look like at Cameron Indoor Stadium this year? Yeah, I, you know, so I will say right off the top that Duke is still finalizing its protocols, and, and that's from having spoken with a number of Duke officials this week. Um, nothing has really been completely set in stone yet, but but as I understand it, um, there's basically going to be a number of safety precautions in place. Number one is going to be the same precaution that was in place for Media Day, which is the fact that uh, everyone coming inside of Cameron Indoor Stadium will have either had to show proof of being vaccinated or they will have to provide uh, a negative COVID-19 test within a certain window of a, of a number of days or hours, just so that it's recent, obviously. Um, so that's going to be the first thing. Secondly, in accordance with Durham County's health mandates right now, uh, people will have to wear masks inside camp. Obviously, that I don't know how that will work with, with drinking and eating. The assumption is that you can take it off if you're doing one of those. But generally, everybody who comes into Cameron Indoor is going to be wearing masks. Um, I, I don't know if that extends to the players. I would imagine it doesn't, but I, I very easily can see it extending to coaches, and especially given Coach K's age, it, it wouldn't surprise me if we see Coach K wearing a mask at some point this season while he's on the sidelines in Cameron. Uh, and then the last thing that I would say is in terms of spacing, in terms of logistics, especially trying to accommodate some of the media that they're going to be having come in this season, um, Duke is changing around some of the uh, 
specific rooms that they use for different things. So uh, whereas the media room, as you know, Josh, it's usually a little cramped. It's usually everyone is in there in a very tight space with the players, the coaches, especially when they come in for Coach K's press conference. That's now going to be held in a separate building, in a separate classroom that allows not only for better social distancing and allows for better spacing, but it's going to allow for more media to come in, and obviously there's going to be demand for that for Coach K's last season. So there's a few things still to be sorted out, but but that seems to be the way things are trending. That makes me feel very good to hear it. Brendan Marks is on Twitter, at Brendan R. Marks read his stuff at The Athletic. What comment or observation stands out from what you saw this week or what you heard this week from Coach K, John Shire, and others from Duke Media Day? I think to me, there's this one thing that I can't shake. It's this one idea that obviously this is going to be such a a sentimental and emotional season for Coach K. It's It's his final one. And yet he has told his staff not to use the word last. And I think that really extends to a greater idea that there's no way that all of his players are going to be able to ignore the external storyline surrounding this team. They're going to see it on social media. They're going to see it every time they turn on ESPN. They're going to see it on the local news. They're going to be asked about it after every game. There's no way Coach can control the outside narrative that's surrounding this team in this season. What he can do is try and control it internally. And so he can tell his players, don't focus on this. Don't, don't worry about this. And I think the reason why he's stressing that, and he has highlighted this a number of times, uh, but both speaking on media day and before that, that if you introduce emotion and sentimentality into the equation, if you say, this is my last first practice, my last game in Cameron, my last time visiting the Dean Dome, whatever it may be, when you start introducing that emotion, you rationalize subpar performance, and it clouds the vision of what your ultimate goal is. And for Coach K, after this season is over, he's going to be able to go back and look back and enjoy and relish everything that happened. But he also knows that in season, he absolutely has the team and a chance that can win a national title. And so if he takes his eyes off the prize and focuses on the emotion of this year and and not being able to go do these things again, he's going to distract from that ultimate goal that that very realistically is within reach. So um, I'm going to be so interested to see how he handles this whole storyline the rest of the season. Uh, I think it's fascinating the way he's doing it now, but to me, that internal versus external dynamic is, is just something that I'm going to be watching the rest of the year. Great information as always. Follow him, Brendan R. Marks on Twitter, The Athletic. Read his stuff covering Carolina and Duke. It's getting close, my friend. I'm sure I'll see you in Charlotte in a couple of weeks. You absolutely will, sir. Hopefully before then. There you go. That's Brendan Marks. Appreciate the time from him as always. Another person that I appreciate, or I guess people that I appreciate, Robert, are friends at Stumble Stillskins. Earlier today, you and I went over there, had some lunch. What did you eat? I had their smash burger. Oh, how was that? It was fantastic. It, it really did look good. See, I'm a sucker for grilled cheese when you do things, when you add some things in there. And they had these thinly sliced apples, thinly sliced apple pieces that were inside the grilled cheese to go along with bacon and, of course, the cheese. And, oh, it it was just great. I'm a sucker for stuff like that. Appreciate those folks. Great location that they have right there in downtown Greensboro. So we spent some time in Greensboro today. Me and intern Nick, we're going to be out at the WSGS Sports Zone, 7 to 9 p.m., Carolina Classic Fair in Winston-Salem. Brendan was out to watch the Blue Devils and Tar Heels. I'm going to head out before watching Wake Forest play Louisville tomorrow to see what Steve Forbes has going on. Apparently, it's available to the public at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. So if you're a Deacon fan and want to walk into the Joel, watch a little bit of what Coach Forbes has going on before you watch Dave Clawson's team, you're welcome to do that, and I'll be there as well. Great weekend setting up here. Hopefully, the weather holds up. Looking outside, feeling a little bit of cool breezes. I sound like a meteorologist now. Don't mean to. Uh, It's just... A lot of things to feel really good about. Laney Pope, probably the person you need to listen to more than than myself on things weather-related. I think we watched the end of an ACC coach's tenure last night. We'll get into the why and the what's the next step for this program next on The Drive. 
have developed a great program for you. Unbalanced and a little out of control. <laughs> You're on the drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Darren Gant, Hall of Fame voter, Panthers.com, joining us now. Perfect guy to talk to today as the Panthers are playing the Dallas Cowboys, who perfectly nobody is overreacting to after their 3-1 and start. Just like a lot of people here in the state of North Carolina, surely, or I should say 2-1 and start, are not overreacting to the Panthers' 3-0 and start. Also was at the Rolling Stone show last night. Darren, let's start there. You had high expectations going in. You've been telling us about this show for a year and a half, if not more. Were your expectations met? Yeah, and then some. Those old dudes can still get after it, man. That was, you know, I've seen a bunch of shows in my life. They still give a great one. Uh, I've seen old bands that are kind of going through the motions. That was not them last night. And I had some friends who who went to that show who weren't necessarily Stones fans, and they were just blown away. I mean, when they come out in the encore and play Gimme Shelter, it's just, I mean, it was explosive. And, you know, it, it, it's hard to imagine liking rock and roll music and not enjoying a Rolling Stones concert. It was great. What did you find most interesting about Mick Jagger going into downtown, or I guess uptown Charlotte, and visiting a bar I know you know very well, and hanging out with us commoners. Yeah, as Ron Rivera would call it, that was a missed opportunity on my part. The Thirsty Beaver is a little hole in the wall, you know, less than a half a mile from my house. I can walk there and have, and, you know, I was like, yeah, you know, it's one of those things. Do you go out tonight? and I'll stay in. Tomorrow's going to be a long night. Mick Jagger shows up at the Thirsty Beaver, of course. It's, uh, I think it was perfectly cast. I mean, it's the kind of place where one of the greatest living rock and roll artists of all time can walk into a bar and go completely unnoticed. It's fantastic and perfectly in, in character. I mean, it's, it's kind of in the uh, Plaza Midwood area of Charlotte, right outside downtown, and it, it's a mix of young people who live in condos and bikers and regular old farts like me. So it's the kind of place you can walk in and get you a $2 high life. And if they're out of that, they might ask you if you want a, a tall boy hams or something other, some other delight like that. So regular bar for a, a completely not regular guy. Have you ever seen a celebrity at the Thirsty Beaver? Uh, no, I have not. But interestingly enough, the pre, you know, prior to going to see the Stones, the last big concert I went to was Sturgill Simpson at the, uh, Spectrum Center. And Sturgill told a story. He's like, Hey, I love being in Charlotte. You know, I played one of my first gigs that I got money for at a place called the Thirsty Beaver. And everybody in the crowd goes, woo. And Sturgill says, quit lying. One but seven of y'all there. <laughs> so Sturgill has played there as well. It, it's quite a place. If you're at, if you're ever in Charlotte and just want a regular hole-in-the-wall bar, go there. But not too many of you at once, all right? Darren Gant with us here. We'll get to the football in a second. The Stones performing at that age. Mick is 78 years old. Do you feel when they perform, it's still for the audience or for them? Well, I mean, they clearly enjoy it. If, you, if you're just doing it for the paycheck, you don't dance like that. And... You know, uh, some of them are a little more spry than others. I mean, Ronnie Wood has never been a big theatrics guy at all. But, uh, you know, still a great performance. And like I said, Mick was getting after it. You know, you do Gimme Shelter, and he's out there with the the lead backup singer, and it's just belting it out, dancing up and down stage. It was, it was outstanding. And i got to tell you, not to do a whole segment on the music, but Steve Jordan, brand-new drummer, is put into an impossible situation. Oh, by the way, you're just replacing Charlie Watts. Just died. When a you know drummer who's been with him forever. Steve Jordan plays drums differently than Charlie Watts because he doesn't have that perfect posture and just looks so cool. He's a lot more athletic looking. He broke a sweat. He was getting into it, but it but it never stood out the same way Charlie Watts never stood out with the Rolling Stones. He was there in service of the band and he did his job. Sometimes when you do a radio show like this, Darren Gantz with us here from Panthers.com, you're people, you have to pretend sometimes, or some pretend, 
Like they have all the answers of what's going to happen when it comes to a sport that is an inexact science like football is. Sometimes you have a great read on things, but you got to be honest sometimes when you don't. I've had I felt I've had a pretty good read on the Panthers through three games. This has not surprised me that they're three and zero. I have very little read on Carolina and Dallas. Carolina getting extra prep time with ten days. Dallas yeah. having a short week six day prep for Sunday at one o'clock. What's your read on this? Are you struggling as well? Yeah, I mean it's kind of this is going to be for good or for ill. This is going to be a referendum game for a lot of people. I, I think Sam Darnold and a lot of different Panthers because you know as we I think we talked in training camp and you know I may have even said I told a couple people back during August you know hey the way the schedule sets up three and is pretty possible and if it turns out that way we're not going to have any idea what it means. Because you don't know what New Orleans is going to look like. You don't have high expectations for either the Jets or the Texans. So um, it it will. I mean, I I think while I don't think Dallas is the equal of the Tampas and the Rams in the NFC, I mean, they're obviously still pretty good. They can score a bunch of points. They've got great skill position talent. They're opportunistic on defense, if not very good. Um you know, I, I think if you beat Dallas and you go 4-0, and then it's going to go from the Panthers are the worst 3-0 and team in the league to the Panthers are the worst 4-0 and team in the league. But guess what? That's still 4-0. and And I, I feel like, you know, again, we had this conversation a couple months ago. I said I feel like they're going to be better based on a defense that could be a top-10 kind of group. And so far they've been a top-1 kind of group. And I think that's going to travel well. You know, I think they're going to continue to play good defense. It's going to, it obviously took a hit with J.C. Horn. He's going to be out for most, if not all, the regular season with that broken foot last week. Um, they're still going to be pretty good. And I think without J.C., they may come back to that kind of top 10 level I was talking about, but they're still going to be all right. Another thing, not to rail on my industry, that bothers me too is when people listen to something they disagree with. And in sports, it the, the instant reaction you get on Twitter, by emailers, callers, whatever. Oh, that's a hot take. You're a hot take guy. Back in January, I said, if Carolina gets a favorable schedule and Joe Brady sticks around, and you upgrade quarterback, even if it's marginal, and I think that's what it is with Darnold versus Teddy, who's doing really well in Denver, you're, you lost eight of your 11 games by one possession. And that's probably something that's going to turn the tide a bit. The defense, another thing. I said back uh, when we were having that discussion months ago, top 10 defense, I think that's what we're looking at. Oh, that's just a hot take. And here we are. I think Carolina is legitimately a really good football team. And if you're talking about referendums, I think uh, Sunday could be a referendum one way or the other on Joe Brady, who's been given 10 days to put together a game plan where you can't replace Christian McCaffrey, but you could try to recreate his production the way that last year Carolina was without McCaffrey for 13 games, which means McCaffrey played in three. None of those three were wins, which means Carolina won five without him. That's the part that most interests me. What are some ways Carolina could try to recreate Christian McCaffrey by committee? Well, and keep in mind, they're not just – doing this without Christian McCaffrey they're doing it without Dan Arnold and obviously those two guys are not the same but Dan Arnold was a non-zero piece of this offense and the tight end that they were looking for to be part of the passing game now they'll do stuff with Tommy Trimble now that Dan Arnold wasn't as good at uh you saw him run the ball last week I think you'll see you know there's a more concerted effort now to make sure Robbie Anderson is a part of this deal and catching more than five passes in the first three games. So there's still opportunities there to do stuff. We'll see on Chuba. I mean, I I think what they're banking on right now is that Chuba Hubbard is a guy who needs to get into a rhythm and needs more than one carry to uh, get into that kind of rhythm. I mean, when he was just in spot duty, he frankly didn't look very good at all. In the second half of the Houston game, he looked like, okay, well, this is a serviceable backup running back. And, you know, I I think they're going to need Chuba to be a big part of this. They're going to need Robbie Anderson to get downfield with a little more regularity if they want to survive this. But 
I think it's possible. I mean, the way Sam's played, he's played efficiently. He's played fine. He's been okay, and, and that's okay. Your big Panther fan dog was taking issues to your Chuba Hubbard hesitancy there. Yeah, I'm thinking he might be secretly Canadian or something. I, I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he he did voice himself, his, his objection there. He sure did. I like New England to win on Sunday. I haven't heard anybody say that publicly, but I like New England to win this game just because it reminds me of the Super Bowl when the Patriots played the Rams both times, really, and Belichick just put together a game plan to make it a drunk, low-scoring fist fight. Yep, I'm I'm like you. I'm hesitant to bet against that guy. He's awful smart, and, and he's done it a lot of different ways. So the idea that this is a game he cannot win, I don't buy. I mean, we'll we'll see what he's able to put together for his quarterback. But I, uh, you know, because he's still a rookie. But again, if, if there's anybody who can do clutch and grab and ugly it up, it's him. Last thing for you. Now that you've seen the Stones, who is at the very top of the list of performers Darren Gant needs to see? Top of the list I need to see. You know who I haven't seen that I really want to see and I hope come through soon is the Foo Fighters. I, I think in terms of – we are talking about that last night on the way out. It was, it's just such a great atmosphere being in that kind of room with that kind of energy and that many happy people um, that I want to do it again and again. And, and I haven't seen Foo yet, and I want to. I, I think they do uh, – from what I've seen online, they give great show. The stuff they've done with the young British drummer, the 11-year-old girl, is fantastic. Oh, so good. You know, I mean, the the energy those guys have, I definitely want to see them. But we were talking last night on the way out of, out of there, and it's like, well, let's go see somebody in a club. Let's go see a club show. I'm going to go see Frank Turner in Asheville in October, and it, I want to just walk into one of our local hole-in-the-walls, like the Thirsty Beaver, and just see some guy wanging on a guitar. There's just nothing like being in the room. You turned me on to uh, Frank Turner not too long ago. Appreciate you doing that. Darren Gant, uh, safe travels to Big D, and we'll see what happens Sunday at 1 o'clock. Thanks for the call. You got it. See you, Josh. There you go. That's Darren Gant from Panthers.com, Hall of Fame voter. Joining us on WSJS Sports. Who's at the very top? of 20-year-old Cole Noble, intern Cole's list of musicians that he'd like to see. Actually, first, how many concerts have you been to? Concerts that you, yourself, either asked your parents or cobbled together money to go see with your friends. How many concerts is that? Uh, We've talked about this before, I think. The only concert I've been to is the T-Pain Homecoming concert my freshman year at Elon. Okay, so but not a big yeah, not a big music guy. So what? But my my fiance the same way. I'm I am just in in all of you aliens. What is? Do you not have one though? Somebody that you think to yourself, I like their music enough that if they're rolling through, I got to get in the building to see them. Um, I mean I'm just like a mix of like the music I like. So I'd say J Cole probably. I had to go to a rap concert. He was in Greensboro just this week. Yeah. Had a lot of friends who were at that show. Um, And then probably Blake Shelton or Luke Holmes. Now that is what we call in the business variety from Cole. Intern J. Cole over here. We've got, for me, now this is interesting. My two favorite bands are the Avett Brothers and Coldplay. And I've seen both multiple times. I grew up loving Billy Joel's music, so that was something I needed to see, and I saw him at the Wake Football Stadium not too long ago. Among the acts that I haven't seen before that I would absolutely love to, one of them might catch you by surprise, but the others are kind of familiar characters. Paul McCartney, for obvious reasons. Same reason Darren Gant wants to go see Mick Jagger dancing at 78. Paul McCartney singing Beatles songs. Having the guy who wrote all those songs sing and perform for you, I I don't know what that feeling would be like. I've That's 
very close to the top of the bucket list. Kanye West, another. Just because I have no idea where that's going. And I love old Kanye. And I just think he's an interesting person. One of the most fascinating people we have. Love to see him. And this is the one that might be a bit off the wall. The Killers. I saw this week that one of their best albums, 15 years ago, 15, that, that album's 15 years old now. When When You Were Young came out, and Read Your Mind came out. We're, we're going to start to get to a point where people were describing that as oldies. <laughs> yeah, this, this, yeah, you know, we've got uh, classic rock. Here's Maroon 5 and The Killers. I don't know how I feel about that yet. But those are the three that come to mind first. Thinking about the question just a few minutes ago. The Killers, Kanye West, and Paul McCartney. That's Those are the ones I look at. Big news in college basketball today. In the ACC specifically, Brad Brownell just got a contract extension. If you're wondering what the expectations to win at Clemson are like in basketball, I'd imagine it's a lot like what we're seeing from a place like NC State in football. That's kind of what it is. Prop like Dave Doran has been at NC State. This is his ninth year now. And hasn't gotten a signature win, really. A win that's so good fans are streaming out on the field until last week. In year nine. I was talking to Bomani Jones about this one time. And, and Bo, he grew up a huge Texas fan. I think he still is a huge Texas fan. And when he was living here in the state of North Carolina, spending some time in the triad too, he was just amazed by how many people were cool with eight and four. Like the idea of an eight and four season being a success is unheard of to Texas football fans and now Clemson football fans and Alabama football fans. Eight and four gets you fired. Coaches have been fired for less. Look at Bill Curry, who I think got fired in his second or third year at Alabama in the late 80s after a 9-3 and season, something like that. So that's what coaching basketball at Clemson's like. Brad Brownell is the all-time winningest coach with 201 wins, 57% of his wins, or 57% of the games he's won. That's a pretty low winning percentage. But he's been there now. For a dozen years, this is going to be his 12th year, I think. He was at UNCW before going to Wright State. And he gets a two-year extension that will have him there through 2026. I think he probably loses his job a couple years ago if he doesn't win in Chapel Hill. But the fact that he did, before that, Clemson, 0 for 59. In Chapel Hill in their history, until that overtime win, when North Carolina had that dreadful season of 2020. I think it saved his job. And then last year, they were pretty damn good. But good on Brownell for getting this extension now. Good on him and his agent, I should say, because I don't think Clemson's going to be any good this year. I think the four worst teams in the ACC this next season, with Amir Sims gone, Clemson's one of them. Georgia Tech. uh, You know, I don't feel comfortable putting them there. I think Georgia Tech's in the same group as Miami and Wake Forest and NC State. I think that's a group right there. The bottom three are Clemson, Pittsburgh, and Boston College. I think those are going to be the three worst teams in the ACC this year. So good on Brownell for getting this extension now, as I guess the short way of saying it. Cole, what do you got in Ticket to the House? It is a Rhinestone Cowboy Friday. Uh, we got a little bit of an update of something we talked about earlier in the week. That's next on The Drive. I have a pain in my ear. And what is causing it? The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. I've been walking it is a Rhinestone so Cowboy Friday. I've got a jet to the Carolina Classic Fair. 7 to 9 p.m. I'll be there. Got a pair of... A Beamer Tire and Auto vouchers to give away. Oh, a pair of tickets for Wake Forest Louisville. And perhaps even a parking pass, too? Sources are telling me that might be the case. 
We'll be raffling that off. Got to be there at 9 o'clock. So, hey, drop by and say hi. We'll be there. If you missed any of today's show, Best of Pod. If you already listened to the Best of Pod, well, you're one of the good ones. That's what I like to hear. Wake Louisville tomorrow. I'll be out there. Wake's open scrimmage with basketball at 10 a.m. Let's belt it out, Cole! Like Like a a rhinestone cowboy. Riding out on a horse in a star-spangled rodeo. Like a rhinestone cowboy. Getting cards and letters from people I don't even know. Let's take it to the house. Past the 15, past the 10, past the 5 for the drive. We'll take it to the house. One, two, three. So you said it's an update from a story earlier this week. What do you have? Yeah, so earlier in the week, Robert talked about Eminem's Mom Spaghetti restaurant opening up in Detroit. And it's a thing. They opened up, and Eminem was actually there for opening day. No. And gave out the first 10 orders at the Mom Spaghetti. So I don't know if it was a Sketty sandwich. I don't know if it was spaghetti and meatballs. That's unbelievable. But, I mean, Eminem's, Eminem's there. Yeah, Eminem's Did he have an apron? He's not a guy who's usually, like, out in public, you would say. But, you want a Sketty? <laughs> but he I was can't there. do a good Eminem. Uh, just the first 10 customers took selfies with him in the drive through line. And uh, it's on NPR is where I uh, we pulled this article today and just got Eminem with a hoodie on, like looking out the drive through window. Big week for Eminem. He's going to be part of the Super Bowl halftime show in Los Angeles. And Mom's Spaghetti opening up and Eminem's doling out some Sketty sandwiches. And he dropped a song last night, too. What? Yeah, the uh, new Venom movie. He did the soundtrack, part of the soundtrack for the first one. Of course and, uh, he did. Had some music on this one as well. I still bump with Eminem. I do. It's not bad. I never, never steered away. Kanye gets all this credit for, oh, he's still putting out good music and it's still listenable. Eminem, same period of time, if not longer. Kanye wasn't putting out music you knew in the 1990s. Late 90s, real Slim Shady. That's staying power, man. It really is. On Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre-like proportions, which is why they're together in this halftime show. Did you ever watch... Gosh, what's the name of that documentary? I forget what it is that has Eminem and Dr. Dre. They're featured in it. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think I know, I know yeah, it's really it. good. But it describes the first time Eminem made, met Dr. Dre, and they did Real Slim Shady just in the first time they met. Blink of a hat. Unbelievable stuff there. It's going to be a great weekend as October's kicked off the right way. We hope you enjoy the football.